As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, presented by Sling. And guys, the coaching carousel here in week whatever this is, six and a half, never seems to stop because the NFL coaching carousel is going now. Matt Rule fired as the coach of the Carolina Panthers on Monday. What does that mean? Well, maybe nothing for your favorite college football team, but maybe a lot because this is a guy who was a successful coach at Temple and a very successful coach at Baylor who seems like the type who could fit in just about anywhere. And oh, by the way, Nebraska's open, Wisconsin's open, Arizona State is open, Georgia Tech is open, Colorado is open, and we think Auburn's going to come open pretty soon. So, guys, we're going to play a little game of Matt Rule for your school. We got Ari <laughs> Wasserman, we got Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. He covers Iowa. Kirk Ferentz is going to, to rule at Iowa until long past all of us are gone. So, don't have to worry about that particular school, but... No. This is a guy who I do think he could fit in just about anywhere in college football, but he's a former Penn State linebacker. The thought has always been he's he's coveted one of the big, big 10 jobs where you could win the big 10 and maybe win the national title. I'm not sure Nebraska qualifies as that right now. Maybe Wisconsin does, but we also have to talk about Jim Leonard's debut as the interim coach because he obviously, I think, is the favorite to actually get it, but Guys, Matt Rule is a uh, an enticing candidate. So we're not talking about Iowa. We're going to talk about <laughs> Iowa. I told I told Do Scott. We have to. Scott texts me. He's like, "What are we going to talk about?" And I said, "We're going to talk about you having to cover that Iowa Illinois game in person, but we'll we'll ease you in with talk of some other stuff first. Okay, so, oh, no, you this got is, an Illinois cup. Very nice. I was just I was just kidding because the rule stuff is really interesting, and I think before you kind of delve into where he would fit or how he would fit. You have to understand um, that I have a little bit of uh, second guessing that I want you to solve for me. Okay. Okay. Because there have been a nice string of coaches at both Temple and Baylor who have had short bursts of success who have gone on to other programs. Mm, so I'm one this. No, I'm not saying that he's not great. Okay. I just want to know what you think his greatest asset is from a strength standpoint as a head coach so that we can help 
kind of fit the pieces in of like what school that's going to say hire Matt Rule actually fits the best. Here's what I think is interesting about him. I think he's good at most stuff. I think he's adaptable. I, I the the best example I'll give you is when he went to Baylor and he hired Joey McGuire. He needed a way to get into the Texas recruiting scene. And Joey wasn't the only hire he made from the state of Texas, but he was sort of the 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 Sherpa, if you will. And it allowed them to recruit very well. And and some of the players that Dave Aranda won the Big 12 with, in fact, most of the players that Dave Aranda won the Big 12 with were recruited by Matt Rule. And let's not forget what a stinking pile of whatever Baylor was when Matt Rule got there. Now, yes, they had won fairly recently under Art Bryles, but all of that stuff had happened. Bryles had been fired. You know, the Jim Grobe interim period went terribly. It didn't look like they were going to win for a long time because it was a program that had not really won before. Bryles came and won, and then it looked like it was just going to fall back. And then all of a sudden, Rules got him playing for the Big 12 title. So I look at the way he got into that environment and figured out how to recruit there very quickly. And if you've ever met Matt Rule, he's a very relatable guy. He's one of those guys I imagine when he's recruiting, the kid likes, the mom likes, the dad likes. And just everybody kind of decides, hey, I wouldn't mind playing for this guy. There have been a lot of, uh, a lot, maybe not a lot, but a few jobs um, that are have been used as uh, stepping stone jobs where multiple coaches have come in and succeeded at that level and then have gone on to not succeed long term in other places, right? Is like Baylor one of those jobs? Is that like a Houston type job? So it may be now, but I, I think we need to remember what it was when, when Matt Rule got it. Yeah. Because w- what he left it was a great spot for Dave Aranda to land in. And I, if, I, I think Dave Aranda is going to be there a little while. I, he doesn't strike me as the type who wants to hop around too much. And I, and but, I, don't, mean it that, I don't mean it that it's a job that somebody wouldn't want to stay at. I mean it as they've inexplicably, or maybe there is an explanation, had success at high levels with multiple coaches over multiple periods when you would think it would be a hard place to differentiate, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and Baylor is one of those where the, the, the pieces are there, brand new stadium, great recruiting territory. The town is getting very nice. Like all the Waco jokes, like if you've been to Waco in the last five years, you don't make Waco jokes because it it has become a very nice town. I don't, yeah, I, I, but I, I think, if you look at what he's done there and and look, the NFL failure stink hurts, but there's also the possibility as Adam Phelan in our live chat points out that he does TV for a year, lives off that David Tepper billionaire buyout money. Cause remember there's an offset in his contract. I saw Ian Rappaport reported that. So anything he makes in college comes off of his buyout. So he's going to make the same amount of money no matter what he does. So it's just a matter of, do you like any of these jobs or do you go do TV and take a job that you like better? I think the most interesting aspect is kind of the ripple effect is, you know, we, we see the openings now, but what happens if somebody else leaves somewhere else, somebody goes to the NFL, whatever, all those types of things, then then where does he end up? Um, I, I think he could fit at a lot of them. And, and you 
before the show, you persuaded me uh, and convinced me about Nebraska. Because, yeah, he, he went to that. That was, a, that was a stink pile there. It could have very easily been what it was with, like, Guy Morris and all the other uh, coaches that failed before Art Bryles at Baylor. and Because it, it was to the point in the early 2000s where a lot of people were saying, why is TCU in here instead right. of Baylor? With yeah, why are they in the Big 12 at all? Yeah. Yeah. And he, he got him into a high level. And then then it went down because that was such a horrific scandal that then he was able to build it back up very quickly. And uh, and he also has regional diversity. I mean, he, he's from Penn State, uh, played there. I mean, as a walk-on, then went to Temple, had great success, then went, up, went to Baylor. Uh, so I think he could go and, and adapt in any environment, you know, and recruit. Because if you can recruit at Baylor being a Yankee, you know, you could pretty right. much go anywhere. You know what I think is most encouraging about him, if we're going to keep it with the Nebraska situation, is when you consider the situation that Baylor was in when he took over, as you guys have mentioned, the dire situation that was yeah, in. Yeah, Nebraska's not that bad, comparatively. Nebraska seems like a Hawaiian island uh, <laughs> yeah. compared to that. Yeah. Now, the thing that you have to do when you take over, and I think Bill O'Brien you know, did the same thing at Penn State, uh, when he took over there is you have to create a culture, a way of doing things an expectation of how things are going to change and how they're going to be run. And you have to do it in a way that the people who are left over from that previous situation, um, adhere to that. And I think rule has already proven at multiple stops that he's able to install a culture that I think is adaptable and has staying power. And I, when I think about Nebraska, you know, there's a lot of discussion about what's the master plan going to be. How are they going to do this? How are they going to do that? But you know, when you look back at the last few coaches, I don't necessarily think that you could say that either of them were able to do what I believe Matt Rule would do from an installation standpoint. Now, does that mean that Nebraska is going to go win the Big Ten West? I'm not saying that, but I do think that the uh, the consistency in how you're going to do things uh, and a buy-in from the players to do it because you've built something before is probably a crucial step one before you can even imagine what Nebraska could be you know, getting into. So folks in our live chat seeing some dominoes fall here. Thomas O'Malley asks, what type of job would Matt Entz be considered for? Huge success at North Dakota State and was head coach during the development of Trey Lance. Well, I can tell you what, he could be considered for the Kansas job and you could have North Dakota State coach versus North Dakota State coach in the Sunflower Showdown if Lance Leopold were to leave Kansas. That would be, I think, if, if you're Kansas, that is a call you make. If, if I don't know if he, if he wants to take it, but it's a call you make. Uh, but that's... That is down the road. Craig Smith, we've all assumed that Leipold will be gone, but if Nebraska gets Ruler Campbell and Wisconsin keeps Leonard, is there a job that Leipold leaves for this year? That is a legitimate question because, guys, Jim Leonard, now it's Northwestern, but Wisconsin looked lively playing in the first game since Paul Chris firing. And I am. And you can't say it's just Northwestern uh, a week after getting your doors blown off when. By yeah, Illinois. by Illinois. So, yeah, it yeah. was a game and they won it. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I'm more convinced than ever that the timing of that move was to get Jim Leonard that job. Yeah, I think so. I mean, he was he's been a guy that everybody has discussed in the 
upper Midwest as far as when is he going to leave? I mean, when we've done it, you know, for the last 15 years, just discuss when Ferris retires that, you know, he's been a name that we've brought up a few times and, uh, you know, he's a great defensive coordinator and, and he's a local legend. So he's, he's kind of the right guy for the situation and what he was able to do. And after the week they had and after the way they played against Illinois, because they were completely lifeless in that game, that uh, rewatching that game was, I've never seen a Wisconsin defense out of its run fits the way it was there. And, and which is really on Leonard, but that's I think, on Leonard. Yeah. I know. Kristen but, knew that. <laughs> right. But I think the leadership there, I'd heard so many different things about Paul just got really stubborn and, and, you know, his recruiting was down and he just, he got a couple of guys and that's about it. And so I think Jim's brought back a little bit more of that Wisconsin swagger. And I think that's, this is his runway. You know, I mean, if they if they can win the West, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they win the West. And uh, if they do that, if they win out or come close to it, then I think he's probably the natural fit there. Nebraska's winning the West. You, you're convinced now after that tweet. You were you were kidding <laughs> when you tweeted that. Now now you've been you've been. I, I'm just joking. I just thought it was hilarious how many people not only took it seriously but got really mad at me when they found out I was being sarcastic. <laughs> I can see that. See, I made them happy because I tweeted out chili and cinnamon rolls when they won the game. Yeah, so you're a man of the people, Andy. I got to. Well, hey, it, listen, it, it's a good year for for interim coaches. Mickey Joseph doing a good job so far at Nebraska, doing a better job than Scott Frost did, and Brent Key two and zero at Georgia Tech. I mean, this is this is maybe the year of the interim coach, but we'll see what happens with Matt Rule. I also think he'd be very good talking about football on TV. So, you know, he and Dan Mullen going to have to arm wrestle for that spot next to Booger on the halftime show or do you send in Matt to games. I, I, don't, I don't know how you do that, but it, I'm sure that those networks can find a spot for him if he wants one. You know what I think is a really fascinating discussion? And I saw uh, Ralph Russo and Chris Vanini talking about it a little bit on Twitter. But when you think about the size of these buyouts, guys, and how much money these coaches are making – you know, the one thing that you don't really see these guys do, because how many, like we got like 10 coaches a year making 50 million not to work. You don't really see them walking away from the game. You know, there's a certain temperament that these guys have to uh, find another job immediately or in the year after they take a year off to do TV. And I wonder like what the, if that is the reason why they're successful to begin with. You know what I mean? Like, right. They, yeah. They don't want to sit there and do nothing. Now, I, I think there are, like, I think Ed Orgeron would like to do some TV. I don't know how much he wants to jump back into coaching right now. I can make a case for Ed Orgeron to Arizona State that you would be. I'm I, listening. I think, I think within 30 seconds, I have, you, I have you on board. You ready? Ed Orgeron to Arizona State. I'm in. Recruit the best players and out athlete 80% of the Pac 12. Done. That's it. That's the plan. You think he could get them? Yes, he's at Orgeron. He gets them anywhere. He yeah. got him when he was at Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. USC, Ole Miss. I mean, let alone LSU. Yeah, I'm basically for anybody who can out athlete anybody. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and I think you can do that in the Pac 12. I mean, there are going to be some programs that you can't do that to, but the, most of the league you can if you get good get enough players. with your sissy blue shirt. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a bad example. That, that didn't quite work out for him. But there are a few times. There are a few schools that you can you can win to a satisfactory level. You can have Arizona State in a bowl game every year doing that. So yeah, 
Coach O to Arizona State. I'm going to speak it into existence. I have, I don't think he wants it, but co- give him a call anyway. Do you think that, that Nebraska is the best place for rule? Or do you think Auburn's a better place? Like, what do you think fits him the most? I don't know that he'd want to be at Auburn. He doesn't strike me as the type. You have to have the stomach for the for the SEC to recruit in the SEC and and to go head to head in all those recruiting battles. And certain people like Matt Rule, Matt Campbell, uh, don't seem to fit that mold. They don't seem to like Kirby Smart was born to coach in the SEC. Nick Saban was born to coach in the SEC. That's the type of person you need. And it's funny because that person doesn't really seem to be out there for Auburn. Like, I don't know who that person is. And I mean, even in the coordinator ranks, there's not like an obvious, this guy's been there forever. Like the perfect Auburn coach, if if he was a better game day coach, is Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp was born to coach at Auburn, but he's also born to coach at Florida and born to coach at South Carolina. So the the problem was it just didn't it didn't work out on Saturdays for him most of the time. So that's out. That's not a possibility. But there's probably one or two Auburn boosters that think it is. So I don't know. I, there's not the obvious guy. Rule doesn't strike me as that. I think Nebraska would be better for him. I think Wisconsin would be good for him. But. Again, I don't know if he wants that. But what if he's saying, you know what? Maybe Jim Harbaugh does go to the NFL after 2023. Maybe I hop in there. I, I think the, the more you talk about it, the more Nebraska makes perfect sense for me because it is such a – I mean, it's a one-school well, one state. And they, they embrace their team like no other. And he could go in there and they would let him do his job. And the recruiting is important, but it's building the program more than the recruiting. Cause I know the, the numbers thing that Ariel talk about, but they had good athletes. They had athletes that was just as good as anybody in the West, if not better. They, their organization was not very good. And I think he could provide a lot of that uh, if he went So do there. we think that, that Nebraska's issue isn't kind of being a misfit in its own geography and more so that they haven't been able to find a coach that can create the right culture and program. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. Yeah, I agree, it Scott. Is. They, they have had the athletes to match up with everybody. Their problem is they haven't beat Wisconsin since 2012 or Iowa since 2014 because they never could handle the line of scrimmage play. They were never physical enough each and every year. Now, once you meet that, equal that in that type of league and that type of weather conditions, then run it whatever the hell you want. You know, just don't run what Iowa runs and you'll be fine. So, and I think that's zone read, perfect. <laughs> Do it, you know, or Adrian Martinez would have been great. But they just. But I think that's really, really good news for them. Yeah. It was better to know that you have an ailment that can be fixed than being systematically broken. It, it is it fixable. Is. I, I, I've gone back and forth on this, but I, I have now come down. You, you can fix it with the right person. It doesn't mean you're going to win national titles like you did in the 90s, but you can be very competitive with the right person. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. 
Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Off to Ann Arbor, where before we get started, good news from Ann Arbor. Mike Hart, the the Michigan running backs coach, a former Michigan star, uh, we know he collapsed on the sideline at Indiana the other day, and uh, it was a very scary moment, but he sent out a message today through the Michigan Athletic Department to say he's back in Ann Arbor, he's feeling better, he's hoping to rejoin the team soon, so that is great news, but they've got a massive game coming up. Uh, Penn State coming in, both teams undefeated. As long as the Big Ten is still in divisional alignment, which probably won't be much longer, games like this matter quite a bit because only one of Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State is going to represent the East, and this feels like an elimination game. Yeah, it does. But, you know, the one godsend that they have is it is divisional play because the winner of this game, if provided they only lose and lose cl- uh, closely to Ohio State, and Ohio State runs the table, is not out of the playoff discussion. Right, they don't have to go back and play Ohio State again. Exactly, exactly. So for everybody in the East, and this is the most lopsided, and it's been lopsided before, but it's never been like this, should be thanking the divisional play because if you're Penn State and you go to Ann Arbor and win and then lose by a field goal to Ohio State, you don't have to go back and play them again and then potentially lose a spot where normally you could get it. So, uh, But this is going to be – this is – Epic game one of three in the Big Ten this year. That's a really interesting point. I didn't really think about that. Like this is a winning this game is almost like a play in game to be the four seed in the CFP. um, Assuming that there's not four undefeated power five champs because like, yeah, I never really thought of it that way. You win this game, you win out and let's say you lose to Ohio State by a touchdown or you lose to Ohio State in overtime. Yeah, the committee's going to love you. The committee's going to love you, and then you don't have to play it again. Yeah, exactly. You're you're eleven and one, and so you're going to be sitting there next to well, you know, like let's say a Tennessee or the uh, you know Alabama Georgia loser, uh, Clemson, um, you know USC, USC or UCLA, um, one of the two, <laughs> the future Big Ten members. Um, so you're going to be. In what that if the lose the winner of this game knocks uh, USC out of the playoff? Uh, but that's a that's a really interesting interesting dynamic, and you know it is kind of a funny thing because you know Ohio State seems to have all but won this conference already. But we've covered this enough to know that Ohio State's lost inexplicable games all the time. So and Penn State always plays them Penn tough. State plays them tough every single year, and Michigan beat them last year. So mm-hmm. you know I think that it's a fun thought to think like, hey, if you win this game, then this might actually put you in a position to make the playoff, even if you lose to Ohio State. So, uh, a nice thing to think, but like, you know, can either of these two teams beat Ohio State this year, you think, Scott? No, not when Ohio State is playing well. Now, I'll say this, that they have lost close game Last year, notwithstanding, they were legitimately beaten by Michigan. But like the year when Penn State blocked the field goal and ran it back in 16, uh, Ohio State was the better team that year, um, and but didn't win the league, but did get in the playoff. Michigan, from what I've seen, it is still kind of moving upward. It lost a lot of pieces from last year. It's got a very good defense. It's not elite like it was last year. A very good running game. Probably the strength is the offensive line. Uh, I like the way J.J. McCarthy has played thus far, but 
you know, how does he do that against maybe the best secondary in the Big Ten in Penn State? That's going to be really fascinating to watch. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see this. And Ann Arbor, the big house, has been a house of horrors for men, for, for Penn State. The, the 2020 game doesn't count because that 2020 Michigan team was yeah. an, the anomaly. It's the outlier in Jim Harbaugh's tenure. But the previous visits with Harbaugh there – they lose 49-10 in 2016. That was a that was the Big Ten champ Penn State team. Lost 49 to 10 in that game. Now I know all their linebackers were hurt. That's why they they struggled with Minnesota and, and almost lost to them as well. And then once they got healthy again, they were they were much better. Were but great. 2018, they were also very good. And they lost 42 to 7. So I I'm not one normally who believes in, oh, you can't win in this stadium or you can't win in this environment. But that's a, those are weird results because those two teams were actually really good. Yeah, they, they were really good. Uh, and the 16 one was just inexplicable. It's crazy. Um, but I think that they played them really close last year. And that's when Penn State started so strong, 5-0, and lost in, in Iowa City and then just went downhill. But that was like a field goal game last year, and it, it, they went back and forth. And I, I think they've got a really good chance. Plus, I want to see Nick Singleton on on a big stage against a big time defense because I think he's been an, an electrifying freshman, comparable to Saquon Barkley. I won't go as far as Saquon Barkley. <laughs> he's got uh, the vision. You can tell the second, yeah. the, the third carry of his career. You could tell. Yes. And I know that might sound crazy, and I know I'm a big jump to conclusions, Matt guy, mm-hmm. but like. You know, there's certain the worst mo- idea I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a certain ways of uh, a running back cuts back. You saw it very early in Saquon's career too. Yeah. So I don't want to say that he's nearly as good as Saquon. That's that'd well, be and, embarrassing. And, and but James Franklin used well, and Ricky Ronnie back then as well. Mm-hmm. Actually, it may have been Joe Moorhead, uh, 2017. So probably yeah, Joe Moorhead. Yeah. I'll never forget that first play, that whiteout game where they they flip McSorley and Saquon. But run the read option, and and you didn't know who who's going to get the ball. But McSorley's in the running back spot, and and the Michigan defenders had no idea what to do. And Saquon takes it for a touchdown. Wasn't uh, it like an eighty-five yard run too? Yeah, it was. It was beautiful. Yeah. And then they read they they ran it again later in the game, and he gave to McSorley, and they gained like eight yards on it. So it was it was awesome. It was it, that was my favorite but use Michi- of the read option ever. The the Big Ten East rankings before the weekend are Ohio State, Michigan, then Penn State, right? Like mm-hmm. Michigan's the better football team going into this. I agree with so that. So we think. I haven't yeah, seen the thread I, yet. Think, I haven't yeah. seen the spread yet, but I'm assuming Michigan will be favored by a touchdown, right? Seven and a half, I believe. Yeah, so there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very interested to see if Penn State can break through that because, you know, it's I've, I've got a really hard time with how to evaluate Michigan. And Scott, you can help me with this. But last year, they finally broke through, right? But the previous five years, for the most part, if you take out the COVID disaster year, they had very similar teams to this where they were 4-0, 5-0, and you thought they were really, really good. And then they kind of turn out to be a 9-3 or a 10-2 team. Like, is Michigan more like last year with the team that they currently have? Or is Michigan more like four years ago? That's a good question. I would probably say a little bit more like four years ago. I think they have a, a really good defense. It's not elite level yet. Mozzie Smith has that kind of those kind of traits, but you know, replacing Hutchinson and Ajabo is in Dax Hill. That's really going to be too tough for this unit. What I like about them is they're very physical still, 
and they run the ball effectively. And I think this, the thing I saw was at, at Kinnick, you know, that's that could be a very tough environment, especially for good teams. And they were able to be very efficient, no mistakes, ran the ball effectively, really jammed it down Iowa's throat for, you know, m- most of the first half. And I thought that w- looked really good. Are they dynamic? I would not go there, although Blake Corum is tremendous. I just think it's probably uh, – I think Penn State's been a little bit more tested. They went to Purdue. I think Purdue's the best team in the West um, and won in, in a, you know, the last minute. That's a tough game to play. And I think Michigan's best opponent's probably been Maryland. And it was really an even game at home other than that – the opening kickoff, the, the ball bouncing off the kid's face mask. So uh, I, I would probably say Penn State's more battle-tested, but it's in Ann Arbor. I think it could go either way. Can, can I point something out? This Michigan team is different than any Jim Harbaugh Michigan team so far. And Ari's going to – Ari knows where I'm going with this. Mm, I, I don't know where you're going his head with like, it. Like when I tell my dog something, she's like, huh? Yeah. But I, it, this is well, the best quarterback Jim Harbaugh's had. J.J. McCarthy is yeah. the most dynamic quarterback that Jim Harbaugh has had at Michigan. And I think they are in the midst of discovering all the different ways they can use him. I could buy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is if and, and Ari, if we're just going to go quarterback versus quarterback, and I realize it's a team game, but this is the most it pains me to say this as a former lineman, but it's the most important position. J.J. McCarthy versus Sean Clifford. Who you got? I get to take their lines with them too, right? Yes, you do get to take their lines. Michigan and J.J. McCarthy. There you go. So that's where I I mean, I think I would take Sean Clifford in Michigan's offensive line. Okay, I got you. I mean, Michigan's offensive line is really good. So, But I think I would take McCarthy. I would take McCarthy over Clifford 100 times out of 100. So there you go. Straight up. So that's where I lean here. Oh, mistake by me. It's not – I added a hook. Uh, Just check BetMGM. It is seven. Michigan is okay. a seven-point favorite in this game. So. Um, and the thing with McCarthy is, is that he's still like developing in front of our eyes, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he hasn't had a tremendous start. It's not like he came out and blew everybody away like when Ewers did over the weekend. Like I still think there's some stuff that he has to work through. So, you know, can Penn State do something, you know, with their defensive line or bother him at home, you know, as he's continuing to develop into who he's going to be? I think it's an interesting, you know, thing to track. Um I think that Michigan is a better football team, though. I'm there with you on this. I think I would put it at like uh, 24-20 or 27-20, somewhere in that range uh, with Michigan, just because Penn State's liable to make some mistakes on the road. Um, They still have a young player there, and I'm, I'm not as sure about their offensive line. I think Michigan's is very sound. And I just came away from watching J.J. McCarthy very impressed because I thought... Again, Iowa has a really good defense, uh, and it's in a tough environment. They pounce on you for mistakes, and he took the whole crowd out of it. Didn't do anything wrong. Made a couple of passes. They they slimmed the playbook down for him. You could tell that, and I could see them doing that again. The one the one asterisk or one X factor is Penn State's secondary is is elite level. That's gonna that may challenge him in the passing game to where he's gonna have to throw away some balls and not take any risks when it's not warranted. I think so, I can get on board with seven being too many. It's it's not a bad thought. I, I, I think I think we're going to see a much closer game than those two good Penn State teams that got blown out there. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's a maze out, guys. It's, which I don't, I don't think that really does it for you at noon. Mm-hmm. Like, 
It's not the same. Mm. And now maybe we'll be wrong. Perhaps the sun shining off one of those maize shirts will distract a Penn State receiver and he'll drop the, the ball on a key play and Michigan will win the game. But I, yeah, I, I don't know if the maze out is all that intimidating. I think my Thanksgiving plate's going to have a maze out on it. Just a, a lot, lot of corn. corn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite form of corn? Corn on the cob? Cream corn? Sweet corn. corn. Just sweet corn kernels? Oh. Or popped. Probably. I got I gotta bring you down. I gotta bring you down to uh, to Central Florida. There's a place called Zellwood near Apopka. White sweet corn. It is some of the best corn you will ever have in your life. They have a sweet corn festival. You know what these are? Sweet corn festival queen. Your antenna. Your corn antenna. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Does popped Uh, count? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Yeah. If if you guys want to talk about corn, you know, remember where I live. You know. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's all. That's all we got. So every it seems like every town every fifty miles or so has a sweet corn festival. I went to the machine shed there. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you? Okay. Great corn. Yeah. There was a there was a sweet corn festival in West Point, Iowa, which is about ten miles north of the Missouri border. And West Point is uh, it, it's really small, but on e- everywhere inch of that uh, block, there's a bar and going through that town. And all the corn is free, but the beer isn't. And it's one of the biggest parties I've ever been to when I was in college. Wow, very nice. The, if the beer were free, I think there'd be arrests, lots and lots of arrests. So, yeah, no kidding. Gentlemen, we have we have to pause, and I'm going to let Scott get ready because we're going to force him to relive that game he covered on Saturday. Iowa at Illinois. I mean, we watched the whole game, Andy. We were we, glued to it. We did, <laughs> but Scott had to live it, and I think that's a lot worse. We'll be right back. Let's talk about Illinois 9. Iowa 6 with a guy who was there who lived and breathed every second of it. I wonder if everybody's getting tired of us talking about Illinois Illinois and Iowa's offense. They're all kind of built the same, but Iowa's offense is that two-minute drill that they ran, Scott, at the end of the game. And I'm trying to watch it between timeouts in in Texas A&M and Alabama. It It was painful. Like... You knew when Spencer Petrus dropped back that that ball was going to be intercepted. It didn't matter that he got hit. It did. It just. It felt inevitable. Yeah, it did. Because um, I've seen it happen about four times before. Um, I think uh, here's. I saw the worst sequence of I, I uh, of offensive football in my life, and I'm almost fifty years old. I've watched football since about four years old, and this was when it was six to three Illinois and. In the first half, Iowa had punted. It was muffed by an, an Illinois player. Jack Campbell recovers. Actually, takes the ball out of the air. Comes down to the thirty-five yard line, and I tweeted right before this. These are the, these are the types of moments when Illinois loses to Iowa because they haven't beaten Iowa since two thousand eight. Um, and there it is. Um, first down, sack, short completion, false start. Incompletion, another punt by Iowa from the Illinois 41. Second play, Illinois completes a pass to Isaiah Williams. He's hit by Riley Moss. It's recovered at the Illinois five-yard line. Another gift for Iowa. There it is, five yards. What happens on the first play, you might ask? The worst play call I've seen of the Brian Ferentz era. And that and that, so there's a lot. There's a big list. Wow, that is uh that's a big honor. That's like 
That's like the best meal I ever ate right there. The worst play call of the Brian's Fer- Brian Ferentz era. Yeah, there's. it doesn't get any better than this, you know. Uh, first and goal, they ran kind of like a rollout to the left. Um, but Spencer Petrus, you know, he, he has a big arm. He, his legs are not really that mobile. And that's a really awkward way for him to run and try to throw. And misfired on LaShawn Williams out in the flat because that's just not his play. And after three years together, you'd figure that that play would be successful, you know, like you wouldn't run it. Second down, what does Iowa do? Well, what Iowa always does, and Iowa found a way to lose three yards in a rush because, hey, incomplete pass, let's go to the run. So then uh, at the same time, a freshman offensive lineman gets kind of stepped on. He gets up, he pushes the guy, 15-yard flag for unsportsmanlike conduct. So third and goal at the 23, they complete a short pass and kick a 27-yard field goal. So in that sequence, Iowa lost six yards after a gift muffed punt into the arms of your All-American linebacker, who's six yards out of that, punt again, get the ball at the five and wind up at the at the 14 and kick a field goal. And that's the last points of your game, six, two field goals. So um, Illinois um, ran the ball fairly effectively. Even if Iowa had a bad offense, it probably wins by two, three touchdowns. This is um, this is a train wreck. It's like having a pickup uh, 73 Dodge or something that's got 300,000 miles with bald tires. And you're you know, this is Iowa's offense. And you're driving down the street and every pothole, you feel everything crumble. But no, we're just going to keep driving it. And then it <laughs> breaks down. Well, we're just going to keep driving it. And that's where they are. They are last in the country in total offense and in the 127 range in every other category except pass offense, which they're 120. And I don't. And the only reason why is because there's a bunch of option teams behind it. They had 30 carries in the game. Now some of these are sacks, but 52 yards, an average of 1.7 yards a carry. Now. They were a heavier pass team than they were a run team. Uh, Spencer Petrus averaging 4.7 yards per attempt. That's not good, guys. Actually better, though, than Arthur Sitkowski's 3.9 yards per attempt on the other side. And I think that's the, the part that I still can't believe. This defense has not gotten worse. They have not slipped. They continue to be awesome. At some point, if I'm on Iowa's defense, or if I'm Phil Parker, the defensive coordinator, I'm going to Brian Ferentz and be like, dude! Mm-hmm. What is wrong with you? This is why communism can't work, right? <laughs> right, because there's always somebody messing it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Human nature says it'll never work because somebody's going to take advantage of the suckers. Well, in this case, the suckers are the Iowa fans who keep having this foisted upon them because daddy's too stubborn I to make say, a change. Though, we got to talk about the offense more. But Scott, is it incredible how often they recover fumbles? They force them. They're great. I mean, this is a this is a unit that over the last five years nobody had more interceptions than they did. I was like eighty nine, and I think uh, I want to say uh, Appalachian State was like at seventy five. They force fumbles. They uh, you know they're they're still I think third in the country in scoring defense and sixth or something in in total defense. They play lights out. They have been really good this year. They they've rarely been better, and their special teams are elite level. And to see it just wasted and just criminally wasted. I had David Jones. I don't know if you know him. Uh, oh, yeah, told covers me, Penn State. Yeah, he told me the 2004 Penn State team is really what Iowa is. Four and seven. They, no, they never allowed anybody more than 21 points. 
They were like, they allowed 15 points a game, but they only scored 17. Well, right now, Iowa's allowing 8.9 points a game, and they're only averaging 14. And it's going to get worse because they play on Iowa State. Throw something out there that maybe speak this into existence and, and could be the best thing ever for Iowa. What if Kirk Ferentz does some soul searching and says, you know what? Perhaps the game has passed me by or my blind spot for my own family is, is costing this program I love dearly. So I will step aside and then Iowa either elevates LeVar Woods, special teams coordinator, mm-hmm. Iowa guy, or Phil Parker, defensive coordinator. And everything else remains the same, except they go find somebody who can run a competent offense. What would that be? I think it, you would see the clouds part. It's a, it's a blue sky day in the Midwest, but the clouds would part because it is untenable. I have never seen a more angry Iowa fan base than right now. And they've had times when they've been up in arms. I mean, losing the Rose Bowl to Christian McCaffrey the way they did. This is outrageous. They are, they, it's, it's right now at the height of anger. And what comes next after they get beat 50 to three or whatever by Ohio State because they throw seven pick sixes? It's going to be uh, apathy. And that's coming I, well, next. And it, here's the thing I, I would make the pitchforks and torches jokes, but a lot of them might actually own pitchforks. So, mm-hmm. This, this could be, but I, you know what I think makes them matter and back, you know, let me know if I'm wrong on this, Scott. It is the, the fact that they are so good defensively and so good on special teams. Like if they stunk in both of those areas, this might be a little easier to take. They could stomach that. Uh, the other, th- the other part that they're really struggling with is how could Paul Chris get fired after going 15 and 10 the last couple of years and really, you know, beating Iowa more often than not. And, and Nebraska fire Scott Frost and Rutgers fire its uh, offensive coordinator and Indiana fire its offensive line coach. And Brian Ferentz continues to come back day after day after day. I mean, there's a couple of things to this. One is, as I mentioned, the sequence, that's play calling. I, let's call it what it is, too. Um, this is a, a team that prides itself on being tough and physical and great offensive line play, and it's not there. And the other thing, I mean, I'm sitting in my son's apartment in Minneapolis, I would not subject my son to the kind of verbal abuse that Brian's getting right now because I, I also know better than not to have my son do something he's not capable of doing successfully. And right we, now, that is a total blind spot. We had a question in the chat that I had not thought about, but it's interesting because to get around the anti-nepotism rule, they have Brian Ferentz reporting directly to Gary Barta, the athletic director. Right. Could Gary Barta say, sorry, you're done, or is Kirk just too powerful for that to happen. Kirk is the most powerful person in that university. And, 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 and he's had such a high level of success and he's respected so much that this is just the area that's eating everything around it. And Gary Barta would go before Kirk Ferentz would go. But at some point, this is because the way this is trending and it's not trending in a good way, something's going to have to happen at the end of the year. I'll, I'll say this for Brian Ferentz. I think he is an outstanding offensive line coach. Uh, obviously, as a quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator, he's probably not very good. And I think I'm being very kind there. I don't think there's a way, though, you could ship him back to offensive line at Iowa because his Kirk is very understated in most of the th- his expressions. 
Brian is very boisterous. He's more like Fran McCaffrey than Kirk Ferentz. So I think that would be, uh, you know, he got a, He actually got a personal foul the other night. So you know, you know what the different, you know what the difference between Kirk, uh, Brian Ferentz and Fran McCaffrey is. Fran McCaffrey wins. Fran McCaffrey's yeah. offense is score. I mean, I will say that it would be so. really, really hard to can your kid. It would be impossible, but don't put your kid in that place in the first place. No, I know. It's I'm almost just saying, like, like they have that rule that they got around by having a report to Gary Barta for a reason. Like, what what are the things that you would rather do than fire your own son? Everything. Everything. Yeah. So, like, I right. kind of I can sympathize. With I would the situation quit. I, I would probably want to quit before I fired my. But own I son. think that Kirk Ferentz could resign himself if he didn't want to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He's he's made enough money to live like a feudal lord in Iowa city forever. So, but of course there's a lot more money there on the table. So we will see gentlemen, but even this, if you were selfish hiring an offensive coordinator that could get you the 65th best offense in the country could literally win you the big 10. Like you would even think for selfish reasons that you would want your I team would, to be competitive at a high level. I would be incredibly guilty if I'm look, going into the locker room, looking at the defensive players like Jack Campbell and Riley Moss mm-hmm. and Tory Taylor, the punter, and the rest of that unit busting its ass and then looking over because I've kept my son in that position for this damn long. And, and see, here's the, the biggest problem was last year they were in the 120s and everything, and they climbed their way to the Big Ten title and 10 wins, you know, and they decided to There's double down on everything. It's a curse. They yeah, I mean, Brian Ferentz, Brian Ferentz should be required to apologize to the defense every day. Like that would be a start. Maybe he just quit instead of doing that every day. But like he should be required to stand up in front of the defense at every practice and say, "I'm sorry. This is my fault. All of the stuff you're doing is great, and I'm wasting it. And I'm sorry." And he I assume he's have never to do made it every single to day to get paid. Yeah, he uh, and. And he should, and Kirk should too, because as anything, Kirk is actually hamstringing him more with the style of play where I think Brian would be a little bit more open, even though they don't have the pieces for it. Uh, it it's, it's really a interesting situation to watch in Iowa because now Brian could go to the NFL and be an offensive line coach. I mean, Bill O'Brien tried to hire him at Penn State. He tried to hire the Houston Texans. They're very close. They work together at New England. Bill O'Brien get a head coaching, make it be a head coach again next year. So there exactly. you go. Exactly. Run game coordinator hoping, and offensive line coach at Colorado. I'm hoping that Kirk Ferentz uh, <laughs> resigns and Brian coordinator or Brian Ferentz is promoted to head coach from within. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I, I don't. I, I, don't I, I think they'd march on the university if that happened. That would be bad. No question, they would. It would. It would be a situation we have never seen before because there there was never a civil war battle in Iowa, but there might be one in Iowa City if that. But happened. Scott, now if you're an Iowa fan, though, you just got to be like, okay, this season's over. This sucks. Let's just get our ass kicked as badly as humanly possible, so that at the end of the year, there's no question of what needs to happen. Right? Like, is that the only thing now? You know, I think that. Makes rational sense, but I people, I don't know. People can't root I, for their team to lose. I, I can't yeah, see well, them no, rooting especially. You don't want this defense to fail. I mean, they're playing their asses off. Yeah, I mean, they don't want them. They can't root it for the Gophers or 
Wisconsin or anything like that. So yeah. that and plus Purdue with Charlie Jones, they don't really want him out there scoring a bunch of touchdowns on him after he left them in May because this. I really want to know what the uh, spread of the Ohio State game is going to be and what the overs and under number is going to be. That might do it. That that might do the trick. But we'll find out. Much bigger game in the Big Ten this week (laughs) with with Michigan and Penn State. Matt Rule's on the board, unless he's doing TV. We'll find out. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure. We'll talk to you again soon.